We're going to have two readings today. We're going to pick up where we left off on Friday in Mark. Uh, we saw Jesus being crucified. This morning we're going to see an empty tomb. And then we're going to jump over to uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where we're going to find out why that's important. So two readings. First one in Mark chapter 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, verses 12 to 28. But if it is preached that Christ has been risen from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in the turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then he, uh, he comes, those who belong to him. Then in the end, uh, sorry, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been, put un, has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. 
Uh, it's funny how uh, our Easter services rightly are allowed uh, a celebratory, uh, exciting celebration of the great news that Jesus is alive. But that's actually not how the very first Easter morning was celebrated. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, in Mark's account of the very first Easter morning, it ends not, not with singing and laughter and joy. It actually ends with silence. With silence. Uh, of all the different gospel stories, what Mark does invites us to stand with these first trembling witnesses and to stand with them and to see what they see. It's interesting in Mark's gospel, we, we, only, we, kind of, we don't hear the whole story. We leave the story with the women not seeing Jesus yet. Just like us, we have yet to see Jesus with our eyes. These women don't hear Jesus call their names. Neither do we. They're not invited to touch Jesus' hands at this point, And we too have yet to touch Jesus. And so Mark is leaving us in the same silence that these women are in. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, how do you respond to a resurrection? How do you spawn, respond to an empty tomb? Because we know what to do with an occupied tomb. We're, we're pretty au okay with that kind of thing. Uh, just nearby in Carlton Cemetery, you may have seen it, the, really, uh, the big part uh, just, just over there. It's actually one of the biggest cemeteries in Australia. It has uh, over 300,000 people have been buried there. Uh, technically, it's what's called a necropolis, which literally means city of the dead, which is kind of like a, a zombie film or something, right? It's a place where there are 300,000 people. And if you walk through that cemetery, which I, can I encourage you to do it? It's quite an amazing... Uh, it's both peaceful and serene at the same time, as it's kind of at the same time as being a place where there are 300,000 people. And what you'll notice is that there are, there are candles... And there are cards, and there are flowers. There are people there who are obviously deep in mourning and sad. They weep. They long to remember their loved ones. In fact, the word tomb actually literally means uh, remembrance. It's a place where people come to remember ones who have passed away. And because that's what you do with an ordinary tomb. You come and you mourn. And you remember. But Easter, we come to something entirely new. It is a different category of things. It is an empty tomb. Tombs are usually only empty before someone goes in them. They're not usually empty after someone has gone in them. And so therefore, how do you then respond to this really interesting juxtaposition of ideas? A tomb that is empty. What well, we see through, throughout the gospel story, there are three things that we can do with an empty tomb. The first thing is, is understand that it actually is really history. In other words, these, these are historical events. Uh, secondly, understand it as a victory. The empty tomb means that Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And thirdly, remember that the empty tomb brings us certainty. It's actually a sign of real and genuine hope. And hope is what our world desperately needs. So let's quickly look at those three things this Easter morning.
Firstly, what do we do with an empty tomb? Well, we realize that it is real history. Um, we know for certain, by the way, that Jesus died on a cross. That, that is not particularly controversial. Uh, we read uh, on Friday from Mark 15, the Roman centurion, uh, who is an expert, by the way, in crucifying people, uh, oversees his death. He's placed in a tomb and a huge stone is rolled in front of the opening. Uh, the word there is mega, so a mega stone, huge stone is rolled across the tomb. Um, there are witnesses to this, including these brave women who go where Jesus' body is laid. Now they go on the very first day of the week, which was Sunday. Saturday is a Sabbath, a day of rest. And what do they go? What, what do they expect to see? Are they expecting a resurrection? Are they expecting an empty tomb? The answer is no. They have brought spices, we read, to anoint Jesus' body. And their biggest problem, which is going to, as they get there, is going to be, look, how are we going to move this massive, huge stone? How are we going to get access to Jesus' body to, to anoint his stone? Uh, to anoint his body. See, these three brave women didn't think they would be the only visitors to Jesus' tomb. They just thought that they would be the first, the first of many who would come and mourn and weep. This is because it was customary in Judaism for the tomb of a prophet or of a holy man to be preserved and to be honoured as a shrine. So they'd come to make Jesus' tomb a shrine. The remains had to be there, of course, or the shrine would mean nothing. And so they come early in the morning to prepare Jesus' body so that this place can become a place of remembrance. People would come from generation and generation to see where this amazing person died and was buried. But here's the thing. There, there is absolutely no evidence of any veneration at Jesus' tomb. Following his death, no crowds flock to the tomb. There's no mourning. There's no weeping. Because, as these women tell us, the tomb is empty. We read in verse 6, as they approach the tomb, the women see a young man who says, don't be alarmed. Now, for those of us who've read the Bible for a bit, we know this, is the, this must be an angel because that's what every angel says. It's on their business card, like, I'm an angel of the Lord, don't be afraid. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. That's absolutely right, of course they have. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And the women are what? They're shocked and amazed. Because the reality is that, that it is just as hard for these first disciples to believe in a resurrection as it is for modern Westerners today. They're shocked. The Jewish people did believe in a kind of general resurrection at the end of the world where, where people be raised from the dead, but they didn't have a concept of individuals being raised from the dead. The Greeks, and the, which affected much of the culture at the time, have no idea uh, of, of resurrection. There was an afterlife where your, your soul left the body and kind of floats off, which is very common, actually, as a Western view. But here is the bold claim. Jesus is not here in the tomb. He is risen. It is a radical claim then, 
as a radical claim now. Now what's really interesting is that the testimony is of three women. In fact, three times Mark records the names of these women who witnessed the events. And what Mark is doing is saying, look, if you want to know the true story, I've named, I've named the women. These are the footnotes, so to speak. You can go check the sources. You can ask Mary and Mary and Salome, or if you can catch up with Mary, apparently she's quite a fast runner. I learned that this morning. <laughs> what a great story that was. Uh, ask Mary, ask Mary, ask Salome. You can, you can ask them and you can see them tell the story. Now, this is a really important historical point because if Mark was going to make up the story of Jesus being resurrected, of the tomb being empty, he would have never chosen women to be the first witnesses. Why is that? Well, in Jesus' day, the testimony of women was not given much weight. It is a very patriarchal society. In fact, women were not eligible to testify in Jewish courts of law. So why on earth would you choose women to be the first witnesses? In fact, uh, Celsus, who was a Greek philosopher, who was very anti-Christian, he was kind of like the Richard Dawkins uh, of the early first couple of centuries, said this, uh, Christianity can't be true because of the written accounts of the sorry because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women, and we all know that women are hysterical. <laughs> you proving my point? No, no. <laughs> Can you, I, uh, Silsus is right, by the way, not in that women are hysterical, but in the time of, you would never pick a woman to be a witness because culturally it is a patriarchal and sexist society. And so that's actually a really important detail because it points to two critical truths. Firstly, it's a reminder that Jesus' kingdom turns the system of his day upside down. What Jesus does is radically affirm the full dignity of women. He gives them the privilege of being the first witnesses. It's not the men disciples who are the first witnesses. It is these amazing women. And secondly, it's a powerful reminder of the historical accuracy of these resurrection accounts. If they are kind of cleverly devised myths, then women would never have been put down as the first witnesses. You would have chosen reliable men. But here we have these women who have the astonishing privilege and honour of being the very first people to see Jesus alive. In other words, this account is a historical account. There is really good historical evidence that Jesus' tomb is empty. Well, secondly, we see that it as a real victory. See, Jesus is not just another dead man whose advice on how to good, live a good life could be kind of taken on board if he wanted to. Jesus knew that actually we couldn't be good enough. But instead, through his death and resurrection, has actually won life for us. Now, the women are shocked and surprised to hear that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now, to be fair, wouldn't you, if that had been your expectation, to go to an empty tomb, a tomb, sorry, not an empty tomb, a full uh, occupied tomb and find it empty? 
But the thing is, Jesus had actually promised that he would die and be raised from the dead three times in Mark's Gospel, in chapters 8 and 9 and 10. Now, promising to die, by the way, is not that difficult. (laughs) Today I make this declaration that one day I will die. (laughs) Not surprising, right? Not surprising. Now, but Jesus promises that he will not just die, but be raised to life again to defeat sin and death. That is something entirely different. Wouldn't you agree? Entirely different. How do you solve the problem of death? I've sat with people uh, on their deathbed. I've mourned with people as they weep the bitter tears of sadness. Death is terrible and inescapable and the Bible reminds us that it's the result of our rebellion against God, the thing which the Bible calls sin. And no matter how much we try to fight death, it's an enemy we cannot defeat by ourselves. We have amazing medical advances, scientific advances, but it doesn't stop our bodies breaking down. But there is only one man in history who's demonstrated absolute power and authority over death. This is Jesus. He died in our place on the cross and took the punishment we deserved. And in doing so, what Jesus did was restored our relationship with God. And the resurrection is the proof that it has happened. It's a simple logic in a way. If sin causes death, and if sin has now been dealt with, then death has now been dealt with. And the resurrection is proof that this has happened. This was in our second reading from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, in verse 17, he writes, Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. See the logic? If Christ has not been raised, then our sins weren't dealt with. And therefore, death is still the only outcome available to us. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. He's being polite, by the way. Fallen asleep doesn't mean uh, they were listening to my preaching. It simply means uh, it's a polite way of saying died. But verse 20... But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And this is the crucial difference. This is the great news of Easter. There is no need to go to the tomb. We worship the living Jesus. That's why we celebrate this morning. That's why we have church on Sunday, by the way. That's, that's actually the reason why church is on a Sunday. The Jewish people wouldn't usually meet on a Sunday. They would meet on Friday. But we meet on a Sunday. Death is conquered. Sin is conquered. The wrath of God is lifted. Jesus is alive. And that's why we're here celebrating the, the most life-changing event in history. Because the centre of Christianity is not a place or a a monument or a tomb, it's a person. 
the person of Jesus, raised from the dead. And what this means is you can trust Jesus not only with your life, but also with your death. Knowing that you too will be raised. That's the language of first fruits. It's the very first thing that you would give as part of your harvest. My lemon tree in the backyard is starting to sprout some lemons. And there's one lemon that is getting to the right big, it's got big and it's yellow as lemons are meant to be. Uh, if I take that lemon off the tree as the first fruit, it's the promise that, guess what, there are more lemons to come. I can see them, little green, small, insignificant things. But it's the promise that there'll be more to come. That's what first fruits are, and that's what Jesus' resurrection is. It's a promise that it is victory over sin and death. And thirdly, an empty tomb brings us real certainty. Because if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then it changes everything. It changes everything. I think one of the reasons we find this world so hard and so difficult and so stressful is because we think that this broken world is the only world that we're ever going to have. That your money will be the only money that you ever have. That your body will be the only body that you ever have. And this is why suffering is so difficult. This is why doing the right thing can be so hard. Life can cost you your money and your reputation and even your life. This is why injustice is so hard, because it seems like evil people get away with things. And this is why hope is so important. Not, not blind hope, not kind of guessing and, and just... Maybe something will work out. No, a certain hope, a guarantee that things will be right. And that's what Jesus' resurrection is. It's a proof, a guarantee that things will get better. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All will be made alive. See, the resurrection, this empty tomb, is a guarantee that we'll not just have new minds and new hearts, but also new bodies. Unbreakable, perfect bodies. Redeemed and brought back. There'll be no need for glasses, right? No more sadness. No more sickness. No more evil, no more injustice, no more death. And knowing that, because Jesus is alive, can give you hope, even when things are extremely difficult. Because you know that this world is not the only world that there is. And that your body is not the only body that you will have. Can you see how that frees you from so much anxiety? It means you can face the worst things, even the worst things, with a real and deep sense of joy and hope. 
It's not denying the seriousness of the situation now. No, it recognises that. But it knows that that is not the end. That something more and something beautiful has been promised and guaranteed. That this world does not have the last say. There is something much, much more beautiful to come. Jesus' resurrection means that you can look forward with hope to the day where suffering is gone, where injustice are, are righted, where the world is renewed, and in the beautiful language of Scripture, where every tear is wiped away. That is what an empty tomb promises. So on this wonderful, beautiful morning of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, let us know that it, it truly happened it is history. Let us know that it is truly a victory. Jesus has defeated sin and death. And let us rejoice in the certainty that it brings. This broken world is not all there is. A perfect new heavens and new earth await us where we will live with our resurrected King forever. Amen.